coming up. Dr. Roger Price, and I will let him introduce himself, but you've probably already heard of him because he's amazing. (laughs) Thank you, Kimmy. That's very sweet of you. And we all share one common thing, and that is the need for survival. And to put it very simply, survival means being able to take the next breath. Because if you don't take the next breath, it doesn't matter what's for lunch, it doesn't matter what's for dinner, it's all over. So right from the very first breath, all we are doing in survival mode, where that survival instinct is so, so very powerful, our body is doing what it has to do to take the next breath. And if we have to tilt a shoulder or lift our chin or open our mouth or arch our back or turn ourselves into a pretzel to take the next breath, the body will insist that we do that. Remember that you are up and awake and functioning for two-thirds of your life. And you're in bed trying to recover for one-third of your life. So my specialty is disturbed sleep, disrupted sleep. Sleep only disorders breathing if the breathing is dysfunctional during the day. The process of sleep is going to make it even worse. We have to look at the daytime dysfunction, and we have to correct that so that the nighttime load reduces and people can then sleep again. Because truthfully, you will only ever catch four things in your life. You'll catch a virus, a bacterium, a parasite, or a fungus. You're not going to catch anything else. You're going to create what you have as a consequence of your dysfunctional behavioral patterns, which you have created in order to survive. want to invite you to the first annual Munch Bunch Wellness and Rejuvenation Retreat in the Dominican Republic, November 9th through the 12th, 2023. It will be an all-inclusive retreat meant to refuel you, give you a chance to rest, relax, and network with others in our Munch Bunch family. We will also be talking about ways to get out of your own way so you can live your dreams, build your business, and do what you need to do. So check it out. The link is in the description, and the dates are November 9th through the 12th. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Munch Bunch podcast. It's Kimi Nishimoto and Megan Vanoy, and today we have Dr. Roger Price, And I will let him introduce himself, but you've probably already heard of him because he's amazing. (laughs) Thank you, Kimmy. That's very sweet of you. All right. So we're going to let you pick our affirmator for today's episode. So Kimmy's got her cards and you're going to tell her when to stop, pick our card, and then we'll get started. All right. Right. Keep going. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. <laughs> stop, 
take the fourth one out from the top. <laughs> it's very <This> specific. <laughs> one, two, you three. Must four. Be two. You <laughs> All right. Forgiveness. A little forgiveness fish. Yep. Anna says, it's okay. Forgiveness. I forgive myself unconditionally for any and all shortcomings, imperfections, foibles, fumbles, flops, or failures of my present, past, and chances are TBH, future. I might not be perfect, but I am a perfect being, and I will continue to be perfectly imperfect with all the joy and acceptance I can possibly muster. Giddy up. Now, isn't that incredible how yeah. it matches what we've said today? Mm -hmm. People yeah. beat them up, themselves up and they say, I'm so stupid, I stand like this. Or why, why, why am I doing this? Forgive yourself, you're surviving. Mm -hmm. You're surviving oh, yeah. breath to breath. Hi, everybody. I've been at this a long time. I've been around a long time. I started my career as a pharmacist back in South Africa in the mid-1950s. Yep, you heard me, the mid-1950s. And it's been a fascinating journey ever since then because I moved from pharmacy into nutrition, into manual therapies, into behavioral sciences, into habit creation. And then I went and did my integrative medicine qualification. And really, I've been doing nothing for the last 63 years, other than learning and studying. And my topic of study is totally fascinating. It is the human body. It is you, it is me, it's everybody else who's involved in this podcast. And we all share one common thing, and that is the need for survival. And to put it very simply, Survival means being able to take the next breath. Because if you don't take the next breath, it doesn't matter what's for lunch, it doesn't matter what's for dinner, it's all over. So right from the very first breath, all we are doing in survival mode, where that survival instinct is so, so very powerful, our body is doing what it has to do to take the next breath. And if we have to tilt a shoulder or lift our chin or open our mouth or arch our back or turn ourselves into a pretzel to take the next breath, the body will insist that we do that. So if you start in infancy and you realize that from birth to six months, babies breathe between 60 and 70,000 breaths a day. That's phenomenal. Those of you with little ones are aware that your baby breathes much faster than you do. Well, can you imagine if the first breath is a problem, the second breath brings a compensation, and the third breath brings a compensation. So these habits start really from the time we're born. And unless we identify them and rectify them, they just carry on getting more and more and more involved and complex as we get older. So from an adult point of view, remember that you are up 
and awake and functioning for two-thirds of your life. And you're in bed trying to recover for one-third of your life. So my specialty is disturbed sleep, disrupted sleep, absolutely, totally, incorrectly referred to as sleep-disordered breathing. And I'm very passionate about that. Sleep does not disorder breathing. Because if it did, nobody would ever sleep. Every person who went to sleep immediately, their breathing would become disordered and they'd have to wake up. Sleep only disorders breathing if the breathing is dysfunctional during the day. The process of sleep is going to make it even worse. So if you look at the two gold standards for addressing sleep disorders, they're in fact breathing devices. The CPAP is a breathing machine. It's not a sleeping machine. The mandibular splint is a breathing device. It is not a, a sleep appliance. So 25 years ago, I made a decision to change the thinking and created the notion of breathing disordered sleep. Because people don't wake up because they can't sleep. They wake up because they can't breathe. And it's not, it's not smart to try and address that after the event. Because after the event is too late, it's already happened to you. My philosophy has been and has been for the last 30 years. We have to look at the daytime dysfunction. And we have to correct that so that the nighttime load reduces and people can then sleep again. So that's the concept. Does it make sense to you? Yeah. So what is the daytime dysfunction? Right. There are many. There are probably as many as there are different types of people. But daytime dysfunctions are things that you do unconsciously. You hold your breath. You take a big breath through your mouth. You sigh. You crick your neck. You, you get up and walk around to go to the water cooler. All of these things are compensations which allow you to breathe, but you're not aware of them. But when you go to bed at night and you start going to a state of semi-consciousness, you can't get up and go to the water cooler. You can't stretch your neck. and So, so you wake up. And if you don't wake up, you will die. It's that simple. Yeah, I mean, I tell patients that all the time, right, when they're like dysfunctionally breathing and, you know, they start feeling guilty for mouth breathing because they physically can't breathe through your nose. I'm like, well, you have two choices, right? And until we can get you functionally breathing through your nose, you know, that's, yeah. we're just glad you're alive right now. And we're going to get you there the rest of the way. <laughs> so why, why can't they breathe through their nose? There's so, certain reasons. Yeah, yeah. Tell us your perspective. Right. Well, two. An obstruction and an occlusion. And they both have exactly the same effect because they mean that it's very difficult for you to breathe through your nose. An obstruction could be something like a badly deviated septum. Uh, it could be enlarged turbinates. Those things are 
physical obstructions. What people don't pay much attention to is the inflammation and the congestion of the mucosal tissue in the nose. And when that swells, it's effectively the same as an obstruction. But it's not a physical obstruction. It is a response. It is a biochemical obstruction. And why would that happen? If you look at the skull, if you look at the cavities in the skull, if you look at the sinuses, if you look at the ethmoids, if you look at all of those, they are designed for a gentle flow of air, not for a tsunami. And when people breathe heavily and they sniff heavily and they try to drag air through their nose, all they're doing is inflaming the tissues. And then the histamines and the cytokines and the bradykinins and all of those defense mechanisms rush to the surface. And there you get the inflammation and the congestion. So medical wisdom says, let's use a steroid spray to counteract the inflammation. My attitude is learn how to breathe properly so you don't create the inflammation. Hmm. And that's the same with asthma. 90% of asthma is misdiagnosed because it is not a disease. It is a defense mechanism. And you ask any asthmatic that you know, could you imagine having an asthma attack sitting quietly in a chair reading a book? The answer is going to be no. So when do you get an asthma attack? When I'm running around or when I'm climbing stairs or when I am upset. And what's happening there is they're changing the gas balances in the lungs. And the moment the body detects that these gas balances are changing, it puts the breathing tubes into spasm to prevent the further loss of that critical carbon dioxide gas which keeps the tubes open. Mm. This isn't, Kimmy, this is not complicated stuff. This is very simple stuff that we're talking about. I want to go back to the point you made about the mucus in the sinuses. So can you tell us more about what is the purpose of the mucus and about how much mucus do we produce in our nose a day? Okay. We produce within the entire head about one and a half liters of serous fluids per day. And there's a reason for that. When you breathe through your nose, it's the beginning of a six-stage filtration system. We are designed to breathe through our noses, not through our mouths. So the first stage is the hairs. And those little twickly hairs are there to trap the floating stuff. And if you look in a shaft of sunlight, what do you see? Things dancing around in the sunlight. And when there's no sunlight, do you think they disappear? Or do you think they're dancing in the dark? They're still there. So the purpose of the hairs and the mucus, stages one and two, is to filter the suspended stuff in the air around us. So once that's done, the air then travels over the turbinates, which has the effect of bringing that air to body temperature. They either warm or cool the air to 37 degrees. Once it swirls around the turbinates, 
It then goes into the sinuses, where the sinus fluids are there to wash the air and to keep it humidified. If we breathe correctly, that gentle passage and flow of air through the sinuses triggers the release of nitric oxide. And nitric oxide has two functions. It is a very powerful disinfectant, and it also relaxes tubes. It's known as a vasodilator. So the combination of the cleaning and the clearing and the sterilizing of the air mixed with the nitric oxide coming down over the next stage, which are the adenoids. The adenoids remove more fine particles before you finally get to the tonsils, which are the last microfilter, and they're there to take away the very tiny stuff. So the air entering your lungs is the right temperature, it's the right humidity, it has been sterilized, it's got its nitric oxide and its carbon dioxide in it. And that passage into the lungs then facilitates that wonderful oxygen transport system where the oxygen coming into our lungs from the atmosphere bonds chemically onto the protein, the hemoglobin protein in the blood, circulates through the 100,000 miles of blood vessels that we have. And this very delicate balance of shifting the pH to allow the bonded oxygen to break free, to go to the brain of the rest of the cells, that completes the transport cycle. The moment you breathe through your mouth, you bypass the entire six-stage filtration system. And you hammer the tonsils with all the dirt and all the muck and all the fluff and all the lint and all the garbage. Well, do you think the tonsils would perhaps get a bit inflamed? Do you think they might become congested? Oh, They're absolutely. trash they're trash cans. <laughs> Absolutely, right? That's all they are. What clears the trash cans? Lymph. So as with all lymph nodes in the body, you have to have this constant passage of lymph to empty the trash cans. And what drives lymph? What is the main muscle that drives lymph? It's the diaphragm. So do mouth breathers use their diaphragms or do they use the upper chest? Definitely the upper chest. Is nitric oxide produced anywhere else in the body or is it only through those parasinuses when we breathe through the nose? Everywhere in the body. Mm, and just okay. think about the chemistry. Yeah. The air that we inhale is 78% nitrogen and 21% oxygen. So many processes, the release of the oxygen from the hemoglobin is mediated by nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is involved right through into the mitochondria. It's, the, the human body is an incredible, incredible it's machine. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> it's not like this is made only here on this left side of your nose here above the beauty spot. No, these things are all interconnected and interfaced with the body. That's okay, amazing. so can you see the dysfunctional cycle mm -hmm. that we create? Why do we do this? Why do people breathe through their mouth? Because it's easier.
And the survival mechanism says, I'm having trouble with the next breath. If I open my mouth and use my chest, it's easier. And that is how these habits start. And they're not because we're stupid. They're there for survival. Mm -hmm. And if you've made it to age 34, well done. Woohoo, almost. We're not there yet. Give us one more year and then we're there. We're both there. I'm not there. talking about you. I'm talking about people <laughs> who are already 34. Okay. So it's well done. You've made it breath to breath day to day. But there have been consequences. And you've developed postural changes. You've developed all kinds of things. But then, of course, we get the other side of things. What happens if there are cranial problems at birth? What happens if the sutures of the skull, those 22 bones of the skull, are not sitting properly? What happens if it was a forceps delivery? What happens if it was a vacuum extraction? The minute you have the sphenoid off, the minute you have an imbalance in the skull, it starts translating itself into descending problems. And then if you have pelvic SI joint issues, when you are right side bent or left side bent or favoring one side, these things just continue to multiply. And we spend our lives compensating so that we can survive. So how does that strike you? <laughs> I know. It's amazing. Just like how the human body works, right? And like I hear it all the time, right? When I when we're talking to people and they're like, I just breathe through my mouth because it feels easier. It feels hard to breathe through my nose. Even though maybe conceptually I understand it's hard for me and it's the path of least resistance is through the mouth. We hear it all the time, every day. But of course the ridiculous thing is that the more you breathe through your mouth, the more blocked your nose becomes. Yeah, that's wild. Can we talk about that for a second? You well, know, it's kind of the more the more you use it, the better it works versus like our usual yes. over idea. <laughs> you don't use it, you lose it. Right. All right. So think about what carbon dioxide does in the body. It has basically two jobs. The one is to keep all the tube systems nice and relaxed and calm. And the other one is to shift that very delicate pH balance, whereby at one pH, which is 7.45 in the lung, the oxygen bonds onto the blood, and then the carbon dioxide has to allow for the creation of a buffer to shift the pH to 7.35 so it can be released to the cells. So when you have an absence or a low level of carbon dioxide, the body goes into panic. It says, my pH is shifting. I'm not able to get my systems working properly. I'm not able to release the oxygen efficiently. And by this time, the person is mouth breathing. They're having a bronchospasm. They've run up six flights of stairs carrying four children in a small motor car on their back. They're huffing and puffing. The brain says, for heaven's sake, stop this. But you don't. So what the brain does is it narrows your breathing tubes so that you lose less CO2. And the more you try to gasp after it's done that, 
the brain says, you know, you're a real right idiot. I'm trying to stop you from doing this and you won't listen to me. So I'm going to produce mucus plugs. And I'm going to plug those tubes so that you can't lose any more. Because if you lose too much carbon dioxide, you will die. Mm. You will go into something called respiratory alkalosis and you will die. Is that the same as hyperventilation or is it different? Well, we don't use the term hyperventilation anymore because it conjures up people of wild people with their hair flying everywhere, screaming and performing. It's overbreathing. And overbreathing is doing anything in excess of the body's needs. So that brings us to a very interesting topic. There is no such thing as normal breathing. Huh. Doesn't exist. Breathing has to be adaptive to effort. So the three of us are breathing now in a seated position. I'm probably breathing a little more than usual because I'm talking a lot. But what we are doing now is what we call functional breathing at rest. Mm -hmm. We're not uncomfortable. We're not exerting ourselves. We're not under pressure. But the minute you go outside and it's snowing and you have to run for the car and you're scared of slipping, your breathing patterns, patterns change. Mm -hmm. Therefore, your chemistry changes. Therefore, you have to adapt to that. And that is what breathing is. It is an adaptive process. You cannot say six breaths per minute is good and 12 breaths per minute is bad. You cannot say fast breathing is bad, slow breathing is good. You cannot say nose breathing is good or bad or mouth breathing is good or bad. Because there are times when you have to breathe through your mouth. Because the mouth and the chest is your secondary level of breathing. The nose and the diaphragm is primary. And your perfect example here is if you've ever watched an Olympic marathon. Who are the best marathon runners in the world? Africa. Yeah, the Kenyans, the Tanzanians, the Ethiopians. You never see them run with their mouths open. I never. never. I never thought about it. Never. The last 200 meters, yes. Because when they get into the stadium and they sprint to the finish line, they're building up their carbon dioxide levels higher than their tolerance. And that is when they open their mouths to vent off the excess. Most people have developed an intolerance. So we believe we should breathe sooner than we need to. And that is the root cause of most chronic diseases. People are over-breathing, they're upsetting their biochemistry, they're upsetting the delicate pH balance that all 11 body systems need, and the body is fighting and compensating every single breath you take. Hmm. So we want to introduce this thought for Tot's course, a parent's guide for toddlers ages 2 to 5 for Mini Mayo. We have Megan and Kimmy going over nasal hygiene, myofunctional exercises, breathing exercises, tongue tie healing protocols, and then we have Jenny June going over sleep hygiene and Kelsey Baker going over feeding therapy and body work. 
Uh, the course is $2.97 and the link will be in the description. So even if you breathe with your nose and you're over breathing, um, is that a factor with rhinitis, like inflammation of the nose or increased mucus production? Yes. Mucus is a response. It's a response to irritation. And you're irritating your nasal mucosa, you're irritating your airway. And the mucus response to that is to try and capture the things that it feels should not be there and to trap them. The same with people who drool. Why do people produce so much saliva when their mouth is open? Because the mouth is constantly getting dry and the body is saying the mouth is dry, produce more saliva. That's where the drooling comes from. Most of these things are quite simple when you look at them. They're just made so complicated by the medical Agreed. world. Agreed. You're like, I, I was thinking earlier, I was like, man, you explain things at such an understandable level. It's just like wild, like how easy this is to understand, mm -hmm. but how like, you know, back when I was learning, you know, 10 years ago, they, it, everything was just made to be so complicated and it's just not. It doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. See, I am, I'm 83 years old now. So remember, I studied when life is very simple. I studied before CBCTs and I studied before CAT scans. The only CAT scan I saw was with my cat looking around the room. That was the <laughs> only thing that I knew. And we learned in those days that things were simple. And the whole world changed around about 1957, 1958. I was already in my close to my final years as a pharmacist. And the big drug companies came in and they said to the doctors, you know, you're spending a lot of time writing in copper plates, three grains of this and four drops of this and five grains of this. We've made this stuff. We've given it a proprietary name. Let's make your lives easier. So in the late 50s, Big Pharma took over medicine. And it's just got worse ever since. Mm. Because with big pharma came big law, came big insurance, came big hospitals and big research. There was never, when I was growing up, there was never, ever a consideration of malpractice, class actions. I'm going to sue you because the childproof lock on my uh, antidepressive pills cut my finger. And suddenly the lawyers write on Facebook and Instagram, have you cut your finger on a plastic medicine <laughs> bottle cap? Come and join us in a class action. What's going on is insanity. I grew up in an era of health creation. We're now living in a world of disease management, mm -hmm. which is an obscenely profitable business. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you know something sad? We're not living longer. We're dying longer. It's mm. a really good point. And we regard that as progress. 
That's not progress. The last few years in many, many people's lives are not fun. No. They sell their home. They've spent all their savings on a nursing home. They're sitting in a wheelchair incontinent, barely able to focus or to talk. And the doctors smile and they say, we gave grandpa another four years. Did you ask grandpa if you want another four years of being a vegetable in a wheelchair? So you guys are so important here. We must get to this early. We must learn how to look for the signs of dysfunction, literally from birth. The lactation consultants are such valuable allies. Mm-hmm. And we want to see why is that baby crying? incessantly it's not wet or dirty incessantly it's not hungry incessantly but it's struggling to breathe and the easiest way for a baby to breathe is to cry because that facilitates the breath nobody thinks about this shove a pacifier in its mouth the pacifier is for the mom it's not for the baby So we have to become very aware of what is going on. And we have to, I I run a course for dentists. And that course is titled, Lift Your Loop and Look. Love it. So So once you've got your dental loop on and you've done your due diligence in the mouth, lift the loop and look to see who is lying in your chair. Are they chest breathing? Are they mouth breathing? Are their lips dry? Have they got bags under their eyes? Is one shoulder tilted? Are the legs at different lengths? Is the the hand clenched? Are there retained primitive reflexes? For heaven's sake, once you know what to look for, you can't unsee it. So true. (laughs) Yeah. So true. Yeah. So if we pick this up early, And that's what I'm doing here at the moment in Denver. I've been here for four or five weeks. And um, I'm here at the Vivas Institute. And we're busy looking at some very exciting new programs and some exciting new products. And this has to be an ongoing journey. We cannot use the same old cookie-cutter techniques that were handed down over the decades. It's a whole new world. And I have a very simple philosophy. I'm going to die as young as possible, as late as possible, and keep doing this every day of my life because it's a passion. Yeah, let's just go over how long have you been in your career because this is amazing to me. I've had many careers, (laughs) but they have all been around the human condition. And I stayed in pharmacy for a few years. And one morning I got a prescription which said, Splog, 150 milligram, uh, one to two tablets, three to four times a day, six repeats. And I sat down and looked at this. And I said, hang on, one to two tablets, that's 100% variation. 
three to four times a day, another 75% variation. What's the correct dosage? Oh, and take six repeats. Well, if the first one doesn't work, why would you want to repeat it six times? And I got out of pharmacy that day. I walked out. And I've been involved. I'm a, I'm a qualified clinical nutritionist and a manual therapist and a clinical massage therapist and uh, respiratory therapist. I mean, I've probably done more things than I care to remember, and I still learn every day. But my my passion in life is to get in early to prevent the onset of chronic disease. Because truthfully, you will only ever catch four things in your life. You'll catch a virus, a bacterium, a parasite, or a fungus. You're not going to catch anything else. You're going to create what you have as a consequence of your dysfunctional behavioral patterns, which you have created in order to survive. It's not complicated. Amazing. Um, I have one more question for you before we wrap up here. I know there's a strong link between sleep apnea and dysfunctional breathing and erectile dysfunction. Can you talk to us more about why that is? Yes. What is a sleep disorder? There are two categories. The one is the true medical sleep disorders, and there are about 70 of those. And they are neurological, and they are neuromuscular, and they are comorbid, and they are related with cardiovascular disease and with all kinds of things that we really never get to see in a dental office. That is managed by your physicians, by your neurologists. What we get to see in the dental office is people who can't breathe. And I reckon that 98% of people in a dental chair have some or other form of airway dysfunction. You don't grind. You don't clench. You don't break restorations. You don't break teeth if you don't have an airway dysfunction. Well, the moment your airway is dysfunctional, it means that the chemical balance in all of your systems is dysfunctional because your breathing is there to try and adjust the pH in all of your 11 systems so that they can function correctly. Well, you have your reproductive system. And your reproductive system is based on two things. Point A has to go to point B. And it goes by tube. And if there are blockages in the tubes, they don't get there. So when you look to see what goes on, what is erectile dysfunction? It's a lack of the proper movement of blood into things called the corpus cavernosum, which give the rigidity to the penis. 
If the blood doesn't flow, if the blood doesn't remain, you then get an erectile dysfunction. A lot of this has to do with nitric oxide. And you're probably, if you've ever seen that incredible Jack Nicholson movie where he, they thought he had a heart attack and they rushed him to hospital and he was having a weekend out with a very much younger girlfriend. And um, they said, have you taken any Viagra? He didn't want to admit it. And as they were about to give him trinitrine, he said, yeah, yeah, don't do that. I just have. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? This whole, Viagra is very interesting. Um, maybe 50 years ago, there was a drug called TNT, which is glycerol trinitrine, which was used for angina. And angina is a spasm in the, in the muscles and the blood vessels leading to the heart. So the ingredient, the main ingredient in Viagra, which is um, Tadanafil or Sildenafil, it's one of those two, that mimics the trinitrine. And that is what gives you the, the um, tension in the tubes to prevent the blood from flowing back. Mm -hmm. But none of this stuff works if your body is out of balance. So we get all kinds of dysfunctions, some we don't even know about. We get cognitive dysfunctions. We get physical dysfunctions. So the trick is to keep the body in balance. So now I have a very interesting number for you. This is going to make you smile. You know that if you have a couple of systems, you can have combinations. And the mathematical law around combinations is very simple. If you have three things, what is your maximum number of combinations? It's three by two by one, which is six. If you have five things, it's five by four by three by two by one, which is 120. The human body has 11 systems. Mm. Do you know how much 11 by 10 by 9 by 8 by 7 by 6 is? No. <laughs> 40 million. Wow. So there are 40 million possible things that can go wrong. Great, great, great. In the 11 great. systems <laughs> in the human body. That, that's really comforting for our worriers out there, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. And it, no, let's make it worse than that. Because if you look at the symptoms on a scale of 0 to 10, it's 40 million to the power of 10. Now you can worry. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it's almost infinite. So does that kind of encapsulate for you what we're talking about, how these things are all linked together? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I had heard that in um, a talk by Dr. Liao once about the connection of sleep disorder breathing and... Um, uh, what was that word? What was that word? I breathing heard? disordered sleep. Thank you very much. <laughs> Six Roger. foot tiger, three foot cage. The the, yeah. the Roger Price pronunciation. Yes. Um, 
but he was talking about that connection. And, you know, I talked to my girlfriends, you know, girls are nasty and we talk about everything. (laughs) And, uh, you know, my friends that their husbands snore or have apnea, that is a problem in their relationship. And, uh, I, I remember one time I was dating someone and they had apnea and that was something that was an issue. But the biggest issue was when he'd wear a CPAP at night, he wouldn't keep his mouth closed and you would just hear. <laughs> that was the biggest problem. <laughs> and just think about CPAP. You put the machine on and for eight hours, it breathes you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You wake up, you take it off, and the brain says, now what? What do you want me to do now? For eight hours, you've been telling me what to do. It's creating the same thing as mandibular splints create, as asthma inhalers create. It's causing remodeling of the body by constant interference. Mm. So constant asthma puffers remodel the airway. Constant use of CPAP is one of the main causes of central sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. You you don't mess with the body. I have nothing against these interventionals. If they're acute and they use short-term to solve a problem. But short-term acute management is not long-term management. It causes its own problems that way. (laughs) So how many terrified questions have cropped up? (laughs) All of them. (laughs) Oh, man. So we might have cut this in the beginning, but... What I, I want to figure out, too, from you, like, where are you teaching? How can people find you? What courses are available if they want to learn more? That is the problem. You know the word peripatetic. Peripatetic means wandering around the world. Mm. That's me. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm based in Sydney. I have a website. And the website is very simple. It's breathing-well.com breathing-well.com. And that gives you a lot of insight as to what's going on. Most of my life is spent now um, training, teaching, but I do work with a bunch of practices in Sydney. And I visit each one two days a month, and they line up their airway patients, (laughs) and we've developed a beautiful dream team. We have osteopaths, we have chiropractors, we have physical therapists, We have a wonderful ENT. We have um, a myofunctional therapist. So we basically triage the patient. So by the time they get to the dentist to do whatever light wire work is done, at least the kinks have been ironed out. So the results are a lot better. Mm. And that's, that's what we're proposing to do now, is to say before putting light wire devices. And they can be Prozac, they can be ALF, they can be any of these things. I'm dead against the word expansion. Expansion implies force. I like the word arch development. Mm -hmm. I like to 
remove whatever obstacles are there and to encourage the arch to develop to its full genetic potential, not to try and force it there. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of that kind of work. And at, at this time of my life, uh, I'm a resource. I'm available to people. I'm available to train. I'm available to talk, to present, to do podcasts, just to try and lift the veil of confusion, which is created by all this Latino-Greco garbage. Mm -hmm. So maybe that'll answer a couple of questions. Yeah. I think the thing that I like about you so much is, number one, your voice. I told you in the beginning. <laughs> You that's do. it that's it not yeah. all of your like brilliance just like your yeah. voices your voice <laughs> it's very like i want you to do a, a nature documentary and then number two um i love how you kind of bring it to basics and like that so much can go wrong but so much can go right if we just get back to the basics yeah. breathing Mm -hmm. yeah. Digestion. Do it right, and Wait. everything else comes right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to give you a little one to end off with. Yeah. There's a beautiful Greek proverb, and the Greek proverb says, "The society goes great when old men plant trees, knowing they will never enjoy the shade." Mm. Oh. And that's what I'm doing. I'm planting trees. I love it. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Ugh. Well, thank you so much again for joining us today. Sneaking in between teaching. Um, it's just been such, it's been our pleasure, honestly. So um, we will link in the website. Um, are you on social media as well for people to follow you? Yes. All right. What's your yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, you'll find the links on the website. Perfect. Awesome. We will breathing-well.com. Perfect. We'll link those into the episode. And of course, if you guys want to find us, you'll find us at the Munch Bunch podcast. You can find Kimmy at Mouth Muscle Memory. You can find me at NWMFT. And you can find us in the Dominican Republic. Uh, so, you know, if you feel like a wandering nomad over to the Dominican Republic in November, we'd love to have you. Um, at our Munch Bunch Wellness Retreat. If you guys want more information about that, links are in our bio. So happy uh, Munchy Monday. And we are so excited to give this episode to you guys. And lovely to spend time with the two of you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. We have a special offer for our Munch Bunch listeners. To book a virtual consult with Megan, she's offering a discount of $25 off. Just email her, Megan, at nwmyofunctionaltherapy.com or through her website, www.orofacial-myology.com. To book a virtual consult with Kimmy for the $25 off, email her mouthmusclememory at outlook.com or through the website www.mouthmusclememory.com. 